Project A Podcast. Hi, welcome to a new episode of the Project A Podcast. My name is Tamil Bari and my mission is to explore the ingredients of creating good digital products. Experiments are a great way to validate hypotheses without spending the money up front. And to discuss that topic, I have a very special guest with me today. Hi, Markus. Hey, good to be here. Markus, you have a great um, yeah, track record of, of companies you've worked in. So you've been head of product at N26, um, Vivi, Cirque. You're a guest lecturer at Code Berlin and just like to name a few stations. How did you become a PM? I would say it started, uh, this journey started during school. When, uh, when I first got introduced to a little bit of web coding and I decided to start my little freelance website business at school, doing some design, doing a little bit of coding and really getting into this stuff. I did business school very early in my career. So I always like combined those three things from, from early days on. And during university, uh, I studied business in Vienna. I, I, we, we started a restaurant together with friends just because we wanted to do some, some crazy business stuff. We wanted to learn hands-on. So we opened up a restaurant and we built the, not just a restaurant, but we, in, we built a tablet-based ordering system. So we had 70 seats, we had 70 tablets. Guests were able to order directly from the tablet into the kitchen and bar. And that was the first product I built. I had no idea how to build software products. I only did websites till, to, until that point. So we developed a, a complete point of sale system and tablet-based ordering system. And that was 2011. So tablets were a pretty new thing. And at that point, I built a product like, you would not, like I would not do it today. Just like I designed the first version, asked my friends, said, do you like it? Okay, let's do it. Let's give it to the, hand it to the engineers and, and they should build it. Um, and that was a very interesting first experience for me. We were running the restaurant for two years. We sold it afterwards. I finished university, moved to Berlin. And then after a short time in, in venture capital, I got the chance to join what back then was called number 26 today and 26. And I had a little bit of an idea what product management is because I've done it, but I've never formally done it. Just informally done that for a couple of years. And I joined N26 initially as a founder assistant. But after one and a half months being in to N26, there was a big change. CTO, head of product left, a couple of engineers left. And I took the opportunity to ask the guys whether I can take over the, the, the head of product role because I worked for those one and a half months very closely with the, with the head of product, helping him to, to, to get Android launched, etc. And the guys gave me the chance and say, okay, you have four more, four more months of, of probation, give it a try. And, so yeah, that, that, that worked out really well for me. I rebuilt the, the product team uh, and tech team at, the, at that point. I took over two, only two engineers. So it was really a fresh start for the N26 product and tech team. And uh, ever since, I've, um, like, I have a second passion next to being an entrepreneur, which is being a product manager. Awesome. Um, when did you actually start to value the concept of experiments? I mean, I know not many companies actually are doing it on a very regular basis. They're often just like build things without validating or testing what they are building. Um, so, so what was your moment when you started to think, okay, I really need to invest into that one and this is the better approach? I would say there was not a special 
point where I said, okay, now I understood experiments are super valuable. It was more like a transition and with it, like in combination with my transition and my, my learnings in product management, I understood over time that the, that experimentation is just a very valuable concept or mental framework that helps us to do a better job. And in, the, in my first year at N26, I was really, really focused on just shipping and delivering and, and, and getting stuff done. And uh, like I, I was user-centered, but not in a structured way. We just went to the office next door and asked them, hey, do you like this stuff? Uh, and so on. And I read a book very early on in, in, in my time at N26 when I took over the, the head of product role. Uh, that was the one of these PDFs that Intercom published, 200 pages about product management, which was helping me a little bit to understand this whole stuff. But I thought, mm, that sounds easy. Like, how hard can that be? And I just basically didn't read a lot for the first two years, just focused on, on getting stuff done and started reading a lot after I had my like this major experience of reading the same book again two years later and realized, oh man, I have done, I've made so many mistakes that obviously outlined in this book. Product management is so much harder than I thought. And so that helped me to kind of, that reading a, lo a lot of stuff helped me to understand, try out new things, being curious about uh, concepts. That was definitely one important thing, just reading different different sources, materials, and, and watching videos on getting inspiration for that point. But one key moment was also when our first UX or product, real product designer joined the company. The first year we had a lot of juniors, but about one year, one year into me taking over the head of product role, we had a very senior designer joining us from Frog Design. And I learned so much from her about like user-centric work, how to really do proper user interviewing, etc. And she also challenged us on the experimentation side quite a lot. So that was definitely one very shaping personality in, the, in that sense. Another big part was a product that we've built where we all thought this, gonna, this will take us about six weeks. It was a partner integration around a product in the, in the space of savings and investment. We said, oh, the, it's not actually the perfect product for our Thai group, but our partner, we want to win this partner. We want to build additional integrations with this partner. So let's go with the first product that they can kind of enable us to build. And so we knew that there are like some, some challenges around this product, but we still decided to do it. Uh, we didn't really validate the, the critical assumptions well enough. And the first problem was it didn't take, take six weeks, but it took about six months for a whole Scrum team uh, to build that product and launch it. That, that caused a lot of frustration. It was a, a really nice, polished, well-crafted flow and product, but no one really used it. Uh, it and it also was financially not as attractive as we thought. So at the end, everyone was pretty frustrated with the outcomes from a business side, from the investment we have made into that product, from people not really using it. And we, we then realized, okay, it seems that our target audience is significantly different than the target audience of our partner because the same product works quite successfully for our partner, but they seem to have a different target group and our target group doesn't like such type of savings product as much as the target group of our partner. So. That was a point where I really started thinking a lot of saying, hey, how could we have understood this way earlier? 
Like, why did we spend so much energy and time and then figure out, oh my God, like so many obvious things that we could have like figured out in probably two weeks, three weeks of, of more proper research and experimentation. And that was like one point where we started to introduce more and more experiments in, in N26 too. And I would say a third like key moment was an interview actually. I had the chance to interview a, a very experienced product leader from uh, who, who built, who, who worked at Facebook and experienced all the experimentation stuff at Facebook. And he built the same experimentation for, framework from, at, at Pinterest from, from ground up. And he inspired me a lot. Like I, I stayed in contact with him. He, ta he told me about like how experimentation is done at, at US companies. So I also used interviews to basically learn from other people. And so there are different elements to sum it up. So it's experiences of, of messing up things yourself, reading empl other employees or, or peers and interviews. So all of that combined made me aware of this topic over time. And by now I would say that's probably one of the most essential parts in product management is being experimentation driven. I can imagine that many product managers who are listening right now would totally agree to you. But if they look at how they run their company right now, how they run their own product environment, they probably not do as many experiments as they should do. Um, and I can imagine, I think you also mentioned this one, you know, like learning about product management is easy, executing is hard. So what can you advise people who say like, okay, I really want to get this kind of going. Where do you start? What kind of environment do you need to build up in order to foster experimentation? So if you want to do, if you want to become more experimentation driven, it all starts, it, it, it is a slow process and it starts by creating awareness. That's very similar to if you want to become more UX centered or user centered in your organization. If you want to do more continuous user interviews, it all starts with the awareness of what does experimentation even mean? Why is it important? Why is it valuable? And what con high level concepts are out there. And that starts with your own awareness of like understanding the basic concepts, like listening to that podcast, for example, can be one point to get, uh, or one way to get some initial awareness. But it also means creating awareness within your organization because you cannot, like, if you know about this, it's not enough. You need probably your product leader, your CTO, maybe even your top management team to somewhere give you some room to experiment because the initial, the first few experiments you do, will take you significantly more time because it's all you do it all of all of the stuff you do it for the first time the first interview you do is hard the second interview is slightly easier the, the 10th interview you do is probably much much easier it's, it's the same in product management probably in, in many fields like whenever you do something for the very first time it, it feels hard and many people give up after the first experiment or a second experiment because they say okay so much time invested it's so hard to do it and so it, you, that's why you need a little bit of awareness of why it's important and that you, you kind of need some time to learn the tools and you need to kind of build a little bit of toolbox uh, and experiment with that. And of course, you could hire someone who has a lot of experience, but there are not so many people out there, particularly in Europe, who have a lot of experience on that front. So a lot of, and, and, and it's also not enough if one person knows this stuff. You need as an organization to have a decent understanding of that because you also potentially need to integrate some tools, build some infrastructure, build some templates. You need to collaborate across teams. So there's a lot of stuff you need to do. So awareness, then you, then you start creating a little bit of a toolbox, 
then you get kind of commitment on a wider range in the organization and really commit budget to the whole thing. We say, okay, we're now trying to systematize things across the organization. And the end game would be embedded experimentation. So meaning experimentation is part of every decision that a company makes. Because experimentation is not limited to product management. It can be done in the business teams. It can be done in marketing teams. Like if you read around growth hacking, that is experimentation. So it's all over the company. And I'm happy to talk also a little bit about what the mindset shifts are that you that are required. Let's soon talk about it. Just like one question up front. I mean, did you really go about saying like, okay, this is the cost that we need to have if we want to build that feature versus this would be the cost for the experiments and we would rather kill that kind of great idea on the other side? Like, how did you actually do that? I mean, you probably faced a lot of barriers when you started to say like, we really need to do it. I mean, I understand that it's always valuable to have someone on board who has this experience, like the UX designer from, from Frog, for example. Um, but, but I mean, you're probably two people or maybe four or five people. Um, how did you create this awareness and really, you know, like created the room to actually get dedicated budget for that? I would say in this case, and first it's, it's budget in terms of time. Uh, later, it might be budget in terms of really mon money you invest, but most of the time the budget is kind of time to say, okay, we need to build something, we need to run a test, and so on. Um, and we we just oftentimes we just did it on top. Uh, we we not necessarily always asking for permission. We were just doing investing a little bit more time in, in doing in do doing certain things and in showing certain results, and with. Like with us showing a couple of examples where we said, hey, this is what we've done and this is what we have learned. Also, our CEO became more open to say, okay, maybe here we could run a, an experiment. So we just did a few experiments. We just started user interviewing and we invited our CEO to the user interviews. And kind of oftentimes it's not even always necessary to ask for permission. Just get started with certain things because the company is anyway so busy. And if you really believe in this, you say kind of, I'll, I'll try this out. So you make an experiment with the process. So it's a process experiment. It's not a product experiment. And you maybe may also label that as this to say, I'll run an experiment. And the experiment is I run an experiment. So I run a process experiment, which is running a product experiment. So you also label your processing or your process involvement as kind of an experiment. So in case it fails, people are more open and say, okay, it was anyway only an experiment. And that, is, that brings me to one of the mindset points, and this is like the openness of failure. That is so important. You cannot do, a, like, cannot build a culture of experimentation if people have, are not able to deal with, with failure. Because most experiments fail or, or do not, if, if, like, if people always look for confirmation, they're going to find confirmation. And, and so you need to be open to be wrong. And that's so hard for people. And, <laughs> and, And that's why I think the first thing is like to be open-minded on, on mistakes and failures and to be proven wrong. And also the other way around, if you run an experiment and then confirm your assumption that people don't tell you now you wasted one week of time to run this experiment, I told you anyway that this is true. So it's always this, I already knew that before type of thing is in both ways very dangerous. And that's the first mindset change to make is kind of, okay, Some experiments will be right, some will be wrong, and we don't know what will come out of it, but it's very little cost for a lot of learning. Exactly. Cost in terms of time. The best thing, 
I would say is to think about the money that you haven't spent on a wrong feature, right? I mean, there's so much money you have not invested, which is way better than just like saying like, oh, I really want to do this. I mean, people believe in their features, you know, like you have hopes with specific features, right? Just like taking this one away is can be also very relieving because in the end, it's just like yeah, removing the uh, topics on your on your roadmap and, and just like lets you focus on the right things. And as a PM, it's always very hard to say no. I think we both know that. Uh, you have to say no a lot. But the most difficult no is the no after three weeks of experimentation and research, then telling someone that you should drop the whole thing. And then like, I remember a time where our CEO asked us, like, you did three weeks of research now. And now you tell me, like, after investing three weeks, you should not build this. And tell him, yes, we should not build that. Um, and, he, and he said, like, you wasted three weeks of time. And it, that's how you could see it. Or you could say, you saved us a couple of months of not building this stuff because building is the most expensive way to test. So it's, it's always a perspective, of course. But this, like, this sunk cost concept here is very hard for PMs to push through and say, okay, now I've invested time. Now I need to do it. Here you need to have courage to say no and the whole organization needs to be okay with doing experimental research and then dropping things entirely and say, let's do something different or let's connect to a different point here. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, there's one, one misconception that sometimes leads to that one. And I would like to hear your, your opinion on that one is that most product managers feel the responsibility to keep their development team busy. And if you're living by this kind of things, it's very hard to start investing time into experiments and might going to have a situation where a developer has not enough to do. So that is the general problem. Like you might all, all be aware with the term discovery, which is becoming more and more popular as the term for concept and research phase front loaded to the, to the delivery, the actual execution. The problem with, with discovery and delivery is like delivery is urgent and important. Discovery is only important, but most of the time not urgent. It's like eating healthy or doing sports. For a couple of weeks, it wouldn't matter if you don't do it. But at some point, it, like, it really hits you hard. Um, and, the, and discovery has the same problem. And that's why if, it, if an engineer is out of work, it's urgent. Like we need them. Those are, those are the most expensive people in a company. We need to give them something to do. Otherwise, we waste our money. But people are not like in a company are not aware how much of a waste it can be to, to work on wrong things. And, and I think there we need to understand opportunity costs way more. And sometimes I think it's even okay to let an engineering team run, run with little work for a week and rather think stuff through and make sure that the week after the work on the right thing and they're going to find like if they are smart people, they're going to find something valuable to work on. They improve the infrastructure a little bit, make the release process faster increase the testing quality so they will find meaningful stuff to do if you have like people you can trust and empower and say hey this week improve the system because i need some more time to figure out what is the most valuable thing we can work on in the week after but that needs a lot of courage by a pm and also support by the management team and if your whole organization is just output driven to say okay we measure the success of the product team by the number of features they launch you're born to fail in that concept because experimentation is all about outcome, not output. And that is such another, is such an important mindset uh, concept as well. 
All right, Marcus, we have been talking a lot about experiments so far, but what is actually your favorite experimentation story? I mean, like you've run a couple of them. Um, what's what's your favorite one that you would like to share? Oh, I have so many stories. I, I, I'm, I'm really <laughs> let's, excited Let's get about started it. anyway. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll pick one from my time at Cirque because it's also very nicely connected to, to, to how to engage with stakeholders and business around experimentation. And at Cirque, Cirque was a kick scooter sharing operations. We were running thousands, tens of thousands of kick scooters across 40 different cities. And uh, we got acquired by Bird, so it doesn't exist anymore today in that, in that capacity. But we had, we had at Cirque, we had the challenge that at, at some point, a, a business development guy and a business development team came over to me and said, hey, Marcus, we have a couple of thousand scooters that are not the latest scooter model anymore. We ordered them a long time ago, and now we have those scooters, and we want to sell them to consumers. So not basically use them as part of our fleet, as assets of our fleet that users can rent, but we're going to sell them to scooter uh, to users, and they can then lock and unlock and use that scooter and use that for their private rights. And hey, can you please change the app for that? We, we would like to launch that product. And I said, like, I, I just took a moment to think about it. And then realized, oh man, that this comes with so many complexities from, because it's an entirely different product that we would position. Uh, it's not just as fast hack in the app. It's, it's, it's really, it would distract our whole team massively. And we don't, didn't have any strategic long-term focus on this. It was just like a very opportunistic move. And, but he was like really pushing hard and said, like, yeah, our CEO said, we need to make this a priority and that's important. We have so many of these scooters, we need to get rid of them. Uh, and so on. And I, I, I like after some thinking, I, I didn't find a way to push that back. I said, okay, let's let's run an experiment. Let's test test something. And if that experiment turns out successful, we're gonna build this with you. But if it doesn't, if it fails, we, we're not doing it. And he said, okay, I'm open for this. I said, okay, you build a landing page where you and you do a press release that we launch this product. And you collect leads on a landing page, so basically pre-signups for this product. And what do you think, how many leads can you collect? And he said, yeah, okay, easy, like I can get a thousand people. I said, okay, perfect, thousand people. You had thousand, one thousand people sign up on the landing page on the first weekend after launch, then we're going to build this product for you. And he was super excited. He, he went over to the marketing team and said, come on, let's build a landing page. And he sent it over. I gave him some feedback on the landing page. They made a big press release. You can still find it somewhere on LinkedIn saying, hey, uh, Cirque is now launching private scooter business and so on. You can privately sell, uh, buy scooters. And the weekend passed by. And on Monday, I, I came to the office and, and asked him, hey, like, how many, how many signups do we have? And he was super disappointed. He said, like, 10 or 15 or something. And I said, okay. It's like, Great, it's great. It's like, and he was disappointed. I said, no, you saved, like, you should be proud. You saved us so much time and defocus with your little experiment that took you kind of one day to set up the landing page and, and write the press release. But I give you another chance. Because I said, yeah, he said, like, one week was, weekend was not enough and so on. I said, okay, it's no worries. If you get to, one, you get to 800 signups in two weeks, we're happy to build that product for you. And and it was a bit of a gamble, but after two weeks, he came back and said, okay, I have a hundred signups and I think we should not do this. Uh, fair. Um, 
fair point. And our CEO also said, I think it was not such a good idea. Like, let's focus on something else. This is a moment you, where you could really create a mindset shift, right? Yes, exactly. And I, 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 I just love that experiment. And I always tell them, like, you're a hero for me. You saved us a lot of time with your experiment. You don't. You should not feel bad of, like, not being able to achieve that. It's just you realize that if we would have launched that, if you would have made the whole tech team crazy for a couple of weeks of building this, you would have created so much damage in your whole organization with us distracting. So we had like, I had three meetings with him and he distracted the marketing team a little bit, but okay, it was worth it. I would say when totally was a couple of days of work for the whole, for some people in the organizations, in the organization, and instead of like, uh, yeah, really having a ma massive negative impact for our tech team. And I, I do believe that this product standalone would work, but not in as part of the organization where only it's like a small thing that someone does in the organization. It needs it would have not been part of our strategy. So this is one example for landing page test. Landing page test is in general one of my favorite experimentation methods to, to test value propositions. Whenever you have a new value proposition, you can do that for your existing brand. If you're if you're scared of your brand, you can kind of build it under a fake brand build a landing page, say, okay, I want, to I want to acquire a couple of users and run a bit of paid ad, ads against that and figure out, can I get a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand people on a landing page to pre-sign up? And it's also great because those are folks you can then interview. You then kind of email them and say, hey, you, you showed some interest in that product proposition. Can I talk to you? I want to understand why. I want to understand what you expect from that product and so on. So it's, you, you even recruit users for interviewing. And with the landing page test, you can also kind of make a comparison test. You can copy the landing page and have three different value propositions or three different pricings and see, get a feel for what kind of value prop or what kind of pricing sensitivity you have within that landing page. That's really great. I mean, let's now take it from here and um, operationalize it a little bit more. Like, how do you systemize the topic of experimentation what types of experiments can you actually run i mean like we talked about the landing page tests but it's probably one of the thousand so how, how do you think about this one what is your mental thoughts before you actually say okay this is going to be something that i'm going to test and this is the way i'm going to test it mm. so i would say it's probably one of about 50 experimentation methods i'm like i i can think of and it for me starts all with the assumption where I say, okay, I have an assumption. I have an assumption about something. So in this case, the assumption was that people are willing to, to or we are able to, to create a value proposition for our target audience that is an attractive overall business. So we were betting on a value proposition basically for existing audience. So we had an, a core, core assumption and a lot of sub assumptions around like, for the pricing, the, the, the way this should work, why this value proposition is interesting, etc. So it's, it starts with like generating assumptions. And assumptions means you make, you try to make the things you assume explicit. Because we, as we humans tend to assume so many things. If we see someone for the very first time, we immediately have hundreds of assumptions about that person, depending on the context, whether it's uh, what, what kind of person that is, about like a lot of characteristics bring up assumptions. The same is true for, for product. We have a, a lot of stuff that we assume that we don't, we're not aware of. So you try as a team to bring these assumptions to the surface. There are a couple of techniques you can use for that, um, which we can talk about later. 
then you try to prioritize and to figure out what, what are the most important one, two, three most critical assumptions. And I, I like to usually create a matrix of uh, certainty versus, versus impact. So if that assumption, you map every assumption on, that, on this matrix and say, okay, if that assumption is not true, how much is that product or business or feature in danger of not of, of failing? So if it if that assumption is not true, we can kind of kill it, stop it, do something else. Or if that assumption is not true, we make a small change and we move on. So is how, how, what's the impact and what's our certainty? Kind of how much money would we bet on that assumption? Will we bet a thousand euro, hundred thousand euro, ten euro? It's like or is is it like pure gut feel, or do we really have already some evidence? And your most risky ones lie in the, in the quadrant of stuff where you have very low certainty and they have a risk to kill the whole product, feature, business, whatever you kind of level you look at. And you want to highlight and you want to focus on those assumptions. So you prioritize and then you design experiments around these assumptions. So you ask yourself, okay, what are good experimentation, uh, um, experimentation methods or the best experimentation methods to de-risk and learn more about this assumption. And it's always about the learning versus effort ratio in this case. So what is the least effort I can have and the, to gain the biggest learning on this assumption to figure out whether we should do this. So basically act as a risk manager as product kind of. You de-risking some parts of a product and you cannot de-risk everything. We don't have time for that in product. But you try to de-risk the, the few very critical assumptions, mostly around value proposition, sometimes around the business model, sometimes around core aspects of like customer characteristics or problems that you, you assume sometimes around feasibility. So in, in, in a high level framework, they, this assumption can come from this desirability, viability or feasibility risks. You can also structure it in, in, in different ways. And you then try to find from this toolbox of experiments, the right experiments. And I, I like to talk about toolbox because there's so many experiments and you as a PM need to learn about these different experimentation methods and right. build your toolbox. Marcus, help, help us out with the toolbox. So what is in your toolbox? What are the methods, the experimentation methods that you, I mean, we, we probably can't talk through the 50 you mentioned, um, but we can probably talk through a couple of them. What are your favorite ones? What, where do you see like, okay, this is something that, I, that, I, that you're reusing over and over again? Yeah, like let, let me uh, use a story to describe that. So tool, when we talk about when I talk about the toolbox, you can imagine like you a water pipe breaks in your kitchen, and you call a plumber and say, "Hey, can you can, can you come by and fix it?" And this plumber will come with a box full of different tools, and there are one or two or three tools this plumber is using every time to kind of first they try to investigate and say, "What is the problem? Where is the problem?" There's some tools they use really regularly. There are some tools the, this plumber rarely uses for very specific cases. and say, okay, this is a very special case. Today I need to use my tool that are rarely used, but I know how to use this tool. I know when, when to use which tool. And this is kind of you can, how you can think about the experimentation box as well. And the obvious tools are prototyping and user interviewing or talking to users and interviewing users and building a, a prototype speed like sketched on paper or click dummies and testing this with users. Those are like the tools you use a lot. And I don't want to talk about those because I think they're most well-known out there. And then there are a couple of tools 
which I became really excited about in the, in the, in the recent years. And because I think they're not as, as, as popular, uh, but still very powerful. So one, one that I've already mentioned is landing page tests. Another one are concierge tests. I'm really excited about concierge tests, which is basically you, yeah, you, you provide a product, a product or service in a experience in a manual way. So you, you basically give, you offer that service to the user by manually executing in a super unscalable way. And you can do that by like often we, I've done a lot of concierge tests in, for example, in, in WhatsApp chats. Okay. Yeah, one example I, I recently participated in was uh, an example where a, a company wanted to build, um, uh, wanted to help users to better understand the, the impact of the food they eat on their, on their health. And they sent me over a glucose tracker that is tracking my blood sugar. And I, they sent me over this box. They sent me a couple of, of, of videos they produce, of onboarding videos, basically, just like how to explain how to, to set this up. <clears throat> and then they invited me to a WhatsApp group. And I like, plugged in this glucose tracker, which is a standardized tracker. And they, and they got access. There's an app from that company that is really a terrible app. But it like it it pulls the data. They got access. To this company that did the concierge test with me got the access to that app, so they can pull my data. And we had a WhatsApp group. And every time I ate or drank something, I had to take a photo and share it on WhatsApp with them. And then end of day, they created basically a, a report for me on my glucose chart, and and attached the different pictures and 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 the stuff I ate to that chart and gave me some context around it. So they manually created that end of week, end of day, every day, and sent me beginning of next day one or two questions that said, "Hey, like about feedback on the on the experience, feedback on how I feel." So they did combine that with a bit of user research. It's almost a diary study already, uh, and so that that went for two weeks, where they basically <clears throat> I did manually execute this whole thing, and they learned what troubles I have with setting up this device with taking the photos, with what questions come up from my end. So they really manually executed this, this, this service. And I did that one year back. And I did the, with the same company another experiment, this time with their fully implemented app um, a year later. So based on that research, they built the first version of the product. And now I tested the first version of their product with them, which was more diary study. In a diary study, the difference is that you kind of in a diary study, you 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 may not manually uh, manually run a complete product. The it's more like you track the behavior of a user, either with a product that you already offer, or with you want to just track the behavior of like do behavioral research, meaning like hey, send us an SMS every time you note down a to do, for example. Um, that could be also a diary study. So I did, as a second experiment with them, a diary study now on their fully established app. So this time there was no person sitting and creating a report for me, but this time the app created the report for me and they, but they asked me to send feedback to them every day. Every day they, they send me over questions basically and say, hey, um, how, was, how did you experience the app today? What kind of feedback do you have? So that's a very intense two weeks user research study basically that I've attended, uh, attended them 
with. So this is just two examples, concierge test and diary study. And one more that I need to explain in that context is the Wizard of Oz test, because Wizard of Oz is very similar to concierge testing. You will hear that term when you go and do research and experimentation regularly. The main difference is that at the Wizard of Oz test, people, the, the user does not know that the, the, the product is a manual service. They think it is a fully implemented product. So for example, a Wizard of Oz could be if you invite someone for user testing and give them a, a, a prototype and tell them, hey, you testing our chatbot. But it's not a chatbot, it's a person sitting next door chatting with you. The user thinks it is a chatbot, but it's not a chatbot. Uh, but in, in a concierge test, you would know that there is a human being on the other side providing you that manual service. While Wizard of Oz is basically complete fake uh, for the as a complete fake, but it, a fake experience. So concierge testing is something I've, I've, I've I'm got really excited about. It's kind quite time intense, but you learn so much. You can test so many things. It's great to get new products started, to learn about your users, your, the problems of those users, and really figure out uh, how that product could look like at the end. That sounds super interesting. Um, Markus, thanks a lot. I mean, there's so many more topics that we could cover now, um, but if you want to advise product people to get into the idea of experimentation, what kind of like book or resources can you recommend um, the people to read as a starting point? So, so one, of the, one of the best books, and I, I actually have to recommend this for every product manager to, to order right now, and I'm, I don't have any commissions on that book, so, uh, is, is Testing Business Ideas. I could replace business with product. Uh, it's, it's a book that has 44 uh, experimentation methods described on three pages, gives you a little bit of an outline of the process of, of experimentation, and so that's the one book I will get started with, Testing Business Ideas. Really a, a good summary on, on all of this. There are uh, very interesting techniques in the, in, in the fake door testing and mock sales space. You should really look into that. We've done a, quite a bit at that of these type of tests in, in N26. There is a very interesting concept that I recommend every product manager to look into, which is buy a feature. It's a very interesting f experimentation method to figure out how to slice your MVP. Well, if you have a lot of, of different features, that's a, such a nice experimentation method. You can couple, um, connect with, with prototype testing. So buy a feature, go and Google that. There are, couple, there are not too many articles on that, but some, some good articles also around this. I generally like Medium uh, to, to, to like read some Medium articles and stories from people uh, around these experimentation me methods. So I would recommend you to also go on Medium and just Google these terms that I've, I've mentioned and read one or two articles on that. And to wrap up the experimentation process, because I think one piece is missing. So we mentioned assumption, prioritization, experimentation, and then obviously it's the learning part. In the, in the step four, once you've run your experiment, you need to somewhat document your learnings. And there are some very, I, I know that documentation in startups is a very hard thing. People don't have time for documentation. They don't see the value in documentation. So what I usually do is a very streamlined way of documentation. And there are two approaches. Either there's the test also from the same company that this that publishes the testing business ideas, the company Strategizer. They have test and learn card, learning card. You can Google testing card and learning card. 
this is a very simple template for just digesting your learnings from an experiment <clears throat> on, a, on a very simple one pager. That is one way to document it. Or <clears throat> a second way I document it is basically I create a big Excel sheet and every sheet, every, every experiment is one line. And you just have different categories such as assumption, what, what, when do we launch a test? What was the test we launched? What were we expecting to see? What did we actually see? What result came out of it? So it's basically we take the learning card and test card questions that you see and put that in an Excel sheet. And you have like a, a database, so to say, of experiments. That is the minimum of documentation I would do, like one line per experiment. It's not, not asked too much, uh, but at least some, some learnings are being digested. All right, Marcus, thanks, thanks a lot for all the um, insights toward experimentation. I think there's a, one topic that we haven't talked about yet, and this is like the difference between having a new product or service or feature that you launch versus an existing one. Do you have some thoughts on that topic? So, of course, there are, like, there are different methods that are more frequently used in, for new products versus for existing optimizing existing products. So, for example, landing page tests, concierge tests, also mock sales when you test a new value proposition and want to de-risk that, that's more, you, you rather use those for new features, new products, new companies. But there also is a full set of, of things you can do for optimizing existing products. And the most like well-known one, and, and I think also most powerful one is around A-B testing. So A-B testing, of course, is, is if, if we talk about the experimentation champions globally, Facebook and, and Booking.com and so on. These are huge A-B testing machines, you could say. They run thousands of tests per week, have many variations of their product. And it's all focused on optimizing existing features and, and, and elements and testing micro assumptions within those. So that is a totally different world of experimentation. So, But it, it's also part of this experimentation set. So whenever you think about experimentation, try to differentiate that a little bit. In, to simplify it, you could say, in the more early stage of a new product, you tend to be more on the qualitative side. Um, and the more you go to optimizing, you may go to more to the quantitative side of, of testing, even though a landing page test is also a quantitative method, but it connects to a lot of qualitative measures, uh, such as interviewing and so on. It's, that cannot necessarily stand alone. So that can be a little bit of a... Exactly. Um, and, the, and of course, the most powerful things come when you combine the quantitative and the qualitative side in order to figure out, you know, like, does it really, does the user really want that features? And how big is that target group? Actually, when you're thinking about the one user compared to the big, big group. Exactly. Marcus, because like quant can always tell you the, the what, but not the why. You exactly. need to do the, 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 the qualitative to understand the why. Absolutely right. Marcus, thanks a lot for the great discussion. We could have continued uh, this one for a couple of hours. Um, but um, yeah, just like to sum it up what we discussed today. We talked a lot about experiments um, and we talked about how to actually create an environment where experiments can be done. We learned that ideally you're not going to ask for permission, but just like do it, um, advocate for it, talk about it um, and show actually the value that you generate out of an experiment. Um, we learned... Um, about the different types of experimentation that you can run, that there's in your toolbox, ideally some, let's say, standards, which is uh, user interviews, prototypes, things that we do um, ideally generally on the day-to-day -day level. But there's also the 
idea of having additional types of experiments um, like concierge tests, wizard of Oz tests, and so on, things we just like mentioned here. And I think the core message here is that we can really get creative about the way we test things without building it actually and trying to simulate the actual end user experience. Um, we also talked about the relevance of documentation, that um, documentation is not a minority thing, but this is like part of the story that you can tell and show to the people and just like track what other people do, because typically you're not working in one setup environment, but you have a lot of people and you ideally not going to run the same test over and over again. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, we talked about the difference between um, new services and products that you want to launch versus existing ones that you're going to optimize and the topic that like your test experimentation setup might differ from that one. All right, cool. Thanks a lot. If you have more questions, please um, leave us notes in the comments. You can find us on um, all platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, and whatever. Uh, so it's probably very easy to find us. And beyond that one, um, yeah, uh, feel free to um, take the recommendations uh, about the books. Um, testing business ideas from Alex Osterwalder is um, one of the top lists here and Medium as a source is a great one. So thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed the session. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.